Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. the death of John Newton, author of the song Amazing Grace, a friend and brother in the ministry called to have breakfast with him. Newton told him this over breakfast, I am not what I ought to be, how imperfect and deficient I am. I am not what I wish to be, although I abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. I am not what I hope to be, but soon I shall be out of mortality and with it all sin and imperfection. Though I am not what I ought to be, nor what I wish to be, nor yet what I hope to be. I can truly say I am not what I once was, a slave to sin and Satan. And I heartily join the apostle in saying, by the grace of God, I am what I am. After trusting Christ as our Savior, we are no longer what we once were, dead in our sins and spiritual darkness and headed for the eternal lake of fire. Christ has given us life and we are in spiritual light and we are headed for the glories of heaven. Once we are saved, we are forever changed in Christ. And God wants our new standing and position in Christ to change and transform our lives by His grace. Titus chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 says, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Paul speaks of government here. After speaking of how various groups should act in the church toward each other and uh, about our testimony before the world, Paul turns in chapter 3 to instruct Titus as to how the church should act toward governmental and civil authorities. Paul says, put them in mind or remind the Cretan believers, Titus, to willingly subject themselves to the authority of the state and to obey the civil authorities. The tense indicates that Titus was to be reminding continuously the Cretans about this. We all tend to forget, and we all need to be reminded of truths in the Word of God. For those of you who have been saved for a while, much of what you hear in sermons or you read in books is just a reminder of what you already know. But we all need to be reminded to put into practice what we may have forgotten and what God wants each of us to do. Paul expected the believers to submit and be subject to governmental principalities, powers, and magistrates, which represents both the offices of government and those who occupy them. Principalities here refers to the first, the principle in authority. Powers speaks of those under principalities with delegated power and authority, and magistrates are under both. Believers are to be good citizens and to subject themselves to the laws of their country and its government. One commentator rightly wrote about these verses, the command here leaves no room for anything short of complete submissive obedience. It's not merely respect, but compliance with their laws and directives. But this can be a difficult verse to obey. Sometimes our government can make obedience a major struggle for each of us. But when we think we couldn't imagine a less deserving leader to submit to, 
It's important to remember who the Caesar was when Paul wrote this letter. Nero was the Caesar. Nero, the man who would later sentence Paul to death. A wicked ruler who hated Christians and viciously and severely persecuted and killed them. He was completely pagan, morally bankrupt, despotic, cruel, oppressive, murderous, unjust, sadistic, corrupt to the core. Yet Paul still called for obedience and urged believers at that time to submit to the government. Christians are instructed to submit because Romans 13.2 says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. Romans 13 teaches that government is, is an institution of God and therefore we need to submit to its authority. The authorities that exist have been established by God. You see in verse 1 here how submission to government does not focus on personality or their spiritual beliefs, but on their position, principalities, powers, magistrates. Authority is an instrument in the hand of God. God has placed authority over us and we are to submit to them even when we might disagree with what they do or with what they believe. The word subject speaks of submission, which in the Bible, again, has to do with order. In the home, the husband has the role of being the head of the home before God and the wife is to place herself under his loving care. In the workplace, the employer is over the employee the employees to place themselves under their bosses and submit to them and to what they ask of us in the workplace. In life, governmental leaders are over the nation and its people, and we are to place ourselves under them and submit to them and their directives. As the Lord said in Luke 20, 25, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which be Caesar's, and unto God the things which be God's. It's been said that our flag is symbolic of our taxes. We get red when we talk about them, white when we get our tax bills, and blue after we pay them, and then we see stars. As citizens of a country, we should give what is expected to the government. And as citizens of heaven, we should give our ultimate allegiance to Almighty God. This world is not our home, and fixing the world's governments is not our fight. We are called to submit to them, pray for them, obey the law, Pay our taxes that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, as 1 Timothy 2.2 says. Our fight is the fight for people's souls, to fight the good fight of the faith and standing for God's truth and proclaiming it to all. Fixing a government will not fix people's souls. Only Christ can do that. People need the Lord most of all. And to be ready to every good work, verse 1 says, which speaks of cooperating and being ready, willing, prompt, and performing every good work for our country or in our community. If we are assigned jury duty, we should obey. If our country or community needs help in disaster relief, we should be ready to help by lending a helping hand or giving to those in need. A Christian should be an influence for good in their community in every way. And in that, we are a good testimony for Christ. In addition to submission and obedience to governmental authorities, Paul urged kindness to every man, to, every, to all those around us in four specific ways, two negative, two positive. First, we are to speak evil of no man. 
And this phrase speaks of not maligning or to curse, slander, or treat someone with contempt that we don't agree with. And in the context of government, that's a convicting statement. It speaks of speech that disregards or disrespects the status of another. Paul says that we are to be no brawlers. It speaks of being peaceable, not prone to quarrelsome or to attack others, but able to dialogue about issues when we don't agree. Gentle does not suggest that we're to be doormats. Gentle is a mark of strength. The term combines the ideas of dignity and reasonableness, showing restraint and control, being able to respond without harshness or rudeness, even with difficult people. When someone would try to argue with Dr. Harry Ironside over something he had preached on, he would reply this way. He said, well, when we get to heaven, one of us is going to be wrong. And perhaps it'll be me. That answer in spirit would put an end to all arguments. Showing all meekness unto all men speaks of showing humility, consideration. It describes a spirit of grace, even when it's undeserved with people. This kind of demeanor toward others is one of a humble courtesy, demonstrated by a gracious, kind response to others. And believers should offer this dignity to all people, believers or unbelievers, regardless of their spiritual beliefs even, or their political leanings, or any other hot-button issues where we may disagree. You can't think of this verse without thinking of the Lord in His earthly ministry, who was gentle, who was meek, and humble in His dealings with all people. In Christ's current heavenly ministry, this is His instruction for us, His church, and it's an instruction to be like Him in our dealings with people in life. Titus chapter 3, verse 3 says, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. Paul writes the connecting word for here in verse 3. Paul writes the connecting word for into the text here to explain the reason for extending grace and kindness to governmental authorities and those around us in life. Christians extend grace to others because nothing separates us from corrupt pagan leaders and lost people all around us except the grace of God. In order to respond properly to all people, we need to remember our past lost condition and what life was like before Christ and how we used to act and think and react before we knew Christ. And we should remember the grace that saved us and transformed us and then show that kind of grace and kindness to others. God's grace is to cause us to not look down on people, to not be critical or speak evil of people. But as the grace of God touches our heart, it leads us to instead be gentle and meek and humble. Before finding life in Christ, before salvation, Paul says we were foolish. Unbelievers often think that they have all the answers. Outside of Christ, Paul says we were lacking in understanding and not wise or sensible in our choices and in our conduct. Apart from Christ, we were disobedient, Paul says, and not obedient to God, not obedient to His Word not obedient to what is right and good in God's sight. We are children of disobedience, Ephesians 2.2 says. The old nature wants to rebel and willfully disregard any authority and be disobedient. 
apart from Christ, we were deceived, deceived by the father of lies, who is Satan, and we didn't possess or live in the truth. We were deceived into thinking that we know what's best for our lives and what is the truth with spiritual beliefs. And that word deceives is an interesting word, and it speaks of wandering here. Wandering from one thing to the next, one belief to the next, as you often see people do. They wander and they end up on dead-end streets. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. A person can be deceived by Satan and also by their own heart and mind because they make themselves the authority and are deceived by their own judgment and thinking. Apart from Christ, we were serving diverse lusts and pleasures, abandoned to doing whatever makes self feel good, whatever makes self happy, whatever self wants to do. Life for the unbeliever is lived according to the constant, ever-changing, selfish cravings of the flesh, serving, enslaved by all sorts of passions and pleasures, wanting the freedom to do whatever they want and ending up in bondage to that which they pursue. And apart from Christ, we lived in malice and envy. A malicious person is one who desires to destroy or inflict pain on others and finds happiness in doing it. Envy is not just wanting what another person has, it's resenting them for having it. It speaks of one who is never satisfied with what they have. A life for the lost is also about being hateful and hating one another, as hate often becomes a way of life for the unbeliever. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. The Confession of Sins is a 36-page booklet written by Pastor Ken Lawson. Is 1 John 1.9 a part of God's will for the present dispensation of grace? This booklet is a re-examination of 1 John 1.9, providing a proper view of it both within its dispensational context in the New Testament and also within the context of the epistle of 1 John itself. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750 or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. Titus 3.4 says, But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. But, verse 4 shows us, something changed all of that. But, someone changed us. The grace of God appeared in Titus 2.11. And here we see God our Savior's kindness and love appeared. And He changes everything. And just like that appeared in Titus 2.11 and verse 13 is a 
eureka or wow kind of word. It's the same thing here that the word, the idea of God's kindness and love suddenly shining forth and it's surprising and astonishing and overwhelming us by God's own initiative motivated solely by His kindness and love. Despite our absolute unworthiness, God Almighty willingly reached down, sent His only begotten Son to rescue us from our sin and bring salvation to us. And our reaction should be one of reeling back in astonishment to this appearance of such amazing love and such incredible kindness. In one Dennis the Menace cartoon, Dennis is shown walking away from the Wilson's house with his friend Joey. Both boys have their hands full of cookies. Joey turns to Dennis and says, I wonder what we did to deserve this. Dennis answers with profound insight, Look, Joey, Mrs. Wilson gives us cookies not because we're nice, but because she's nice. The salvation that comes to us from God is not because we deserve it, not because we're nice, but just because God is extraordinarily kind and infinitely loving. Verses 4-7 through here are one long sentence in the original Greek. And in your English Bible, you can see this. And this is one mind-boggling sentence. We are in the depths of depravity, verse 3 shows, and could in no way save ourselves, but God intervened. And by His grace, by His kindness and love, God sent His Son to rescue us. And in His kindness, God waits patiently for people to respond to Him in His provision of salvation. Titus chapter 3, verses 5-6 through six says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Verse 5 shows us how we are saved, not because we are good, but because God is good. We are saved not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by the finished work of Christ that He has done for us, and by the righteousness He gives to all who believe. We are saved from all of our sins, saved from eternity in hell, not because we earned it, but according to the mercy of God. And we all need God's mercy. If we got what we deserved, we all deserve eternity in hell. But when we trust His Son for our salvation, God in His mercy does not give us what we do deserve. Having trusted Christ as our Savior, we are regenerated, or literally, born again, born into the family of God. God saves us through the miracle of the new birth, which is all the work of the Holy Spirit. It's all the work of God and not of us. We cannot regenerate ourselves. We cannot make ourselves new. Our salvation is all of God. The washing of regeneration here, washing does not in any way speak of water baptism. It speaks of the work of God. It speaks of being washed in the blood of Christ, having all of our sins washed away, being made pure and clean in Christ. When a sinner trusts Christ that he died for our sins personally and rose again, they are immediately cleansed from all of their sins, made a new creation in Christ by the indwelling Holy Spirit who is given to us as a gift. The old statement is true, those born once will die twice. Those born twice will die once. 
We need to be born again. We need to be born into the family of God or we will face the second death, which is the eternal death of the lake of fire. God's grace, God's kindness, and His love and mercy is to change and transform our whole way of life. All the things listed in verse 3 are listed in the past tense. as He says, for we ourselves were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived. Though they can be, God is saying those things should be in our past and not in our present. Because we have new life in Christ, and so we should have a whole new way of life. Grace motivates us to do so. We each can be transformed by grace. We shouldn't be foolish any longer, but wise through the learning and living of the wisdom of the Word of God. Not to be disobedient, but obedient to God and submissive to His Word. We're to be living by God's kindness and mercy and love and not in malice, envy, and hate. And God in His grace teaches us not to serve self or diverse lusts and pleasures. It teaches us to serve God and other people and to do good works. God saves and God changes lives. Verse 6 speaks of how the Holy Spirit has been shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. As the Holy Spirit is given to each of us at conversion and indwells us, God saves abundantly and He gives generously. And He has given us the Holy Spirit in abundance in all His fullness. God loves to give a lot when He gives. He is not stingy. He gives above and beyond we could ask or think. It's one thing I love about my wife, Jessica. When she gives me a piece of dessert, she doesn't hold back. She loves to give a big piece of dessert. And I figure God gives us richly all things to enjoy, so I figure, why not? You see the Trinity here, though, involved in our salvation, in this salvation sentence, that it's after the kindness and love and mercy of God, our Savior, God the Father, and the regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And it's through Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Savior, as He paid the price for our sin debt in full on the cross of Calvary. Titus 3.7 says that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Verse 7 tells us that we were justified or declared eternally righteous by God. Having trusted Christ on the basis of Christ's shed blood, we are given the gift of righteousness and declared eternally right by God and before God and we can be condemned no more. We don't merit justification and we don't deserve it. It is ours freely by the grace of God. And when we believe in what Christ has done on our behalf at the cross, even though we don't see it or hear it, in the court of heaven, God by a final and irreversible judicial act declares you righteous. And for eternity, when God looks at you, He sees you as righteous, as righteous as His own Son. And by God's grace, He then makes us heirs of eternal life. God saves us. God regenerates us. God renews us. God sheds His Spirit on us. God justifies us. And God makes us heirs. We have a rich inheritance in Christ and are blessed with all spiritual blessings. We are heirs of eternal life. And we will live eternally with God. It is absolutely guaranteed. 
We have a whole lot to be thankful for, don't we? Because of the grace of God. Titus chapter 3, verse 8 says, This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly. Paul writes, this is a faithful saying. He's referring to this sentence in verses 4 through 7, which is one long, mind-blowing sentence that's packed with rich, amazing truth regarding each of our personal salvation. Paul calls it a faithful saying or a trustworthy statement, a statement that can be wholly relied upon and trusted in every way. We can trust our eternal destinies, our souls, on the fact and truth that God has done everything necessary to save us. We can trust completely that we are saved by the kindness and love of God, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, and that we are regenerated, born again, renewed, justified, and have eternal life because and through of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and placing our faith in it. And Paul tells Titus to affirm this constantly. Affirm these things. Proclaim the gospel confidently and consistently and repetitively and to stress the truth of the gospel and what God has done through His Son. And he was to do so because as back then, so now, there are so many voices of error out there constantly telling people the wrong thing, promoting false doctrine, false gospels, teaching things that do not save people from their sins or from hell. And so there is this desperate need to constantly proclaim God's grace clearly, emphatically, unapologetically, telling them that the the true gospel that saves, which is that Christ died for our sins and rose again, and that we are saved by grace through faith alone. Titus was to stress these truths and never stop speaking of God's salvation, never quit proclaiming the grace of God, and to keep telling others how Christ has done it all, to continually assure others of the truth that the cross of Christ is all-sufficient, to save us from our sins. For nearly 80 years, the Berean Bible Society has endeavored to encourage believers everywhere to study God's Word. With this foundation, the believer is equipped to grow spiritually and energized to effectively share the gospel. Through the tools of both traditional and electronic media, we are positioned to reach our world well into the coming generations. Streaming lessons, printed materials, audio teachings, and daily devotionals are all available at the BereanBibleSociety.org. To have God's free gift of salvation on the authority of the Word of God, all you need to do is trust that Christ died for your sins personally and that He rose again. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. At that moment in time, when you place your faith in Christ alone to save you from your sins, you are declared righteous forever by God. You are forgiven of all of your sins. You are given the free gift of eternal life, and you have the sure hope of heaven, and nothing will ever separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. If you've never made this decision, please trust Christ to save you right now. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. 
We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.